You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Welcome to the Moisture Festival podcast. I am Matt Baker. I perform a comedy and stunt show. And I'm Louis Fox. I do uh, magic tricks, comedy, and hand shadow puppets. <laughs> and we both have performed at the Moisture Festival for a number of years. So welcome to the podcast where we give you a peek behind the curtains of the performers and the people that make the Moisture Festival happen. You get a little, little bit of a look at their journey to getting on stage and a little bit about what they do in their time off stage. So welcome and be sure to check out all the episodes of the Moisture Festival podcast because there's a lot. There is a lot. And if you aren't familiar with the Moisture Festival, it's a four-week festival celebrating variety arts. So that's hula hoopers, magicians, people who bounce on their hands, acrobats, pretty much anything you can think of. It is the largest festival of its kind in the entire world, folks. In the entire world, it's the largest festival, and it features some of the best entertainers and comedians working today. The festival happens in the months of March and April, and not only do they have world-class variety acts, but they have a burlesque venue that runs for one week only, and get your tickets for that early because that always sells out actually 95 percent we've crunched the data louis yes 95 percent of the shows sell out so if you're listening to this in the months of march and april be sure to go to moisturefestival.org and get your tickets today yes especially if your bucket list item is to see the opening show get them now absolutely On this episode of the Moisture Festival podcast, we welcome in multifaceted performer Eric Haynes. Yes, we talk about his start doing singing telegrams, how his ADD has actually helped him focus in his career. And we also learn about his transition from being a sort of variety entertainer and to specializing in the one man band and what that is exactly. And how annoying people at the airport at 6 a.m. have led him to TV shows all over the world a <laughs> uh, great interview with a fantastic performer that we were lucky to get at the 2023 moisture festival let's get to it all right today's guest is a true vaudevillian he's a comedian artist juggler musician puppeteer and oddball who has appeared on the tonight show with jimmy fallon and the gong show his music has been heard on the dr demento radio program he has opened up for weird al yankovic louis anderson and once beat me in a comedy competition we welcome in <laughs> eric haynes <laughs> i don't think about that regularly I, I don't either. I, I, obviously, you've got some repressed memories, though. Otherwise, you wouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> All right. So this is going to be an intervention for Matt. This isn't really an interview. This is because well, a... I was going through your bio and it said, you know, winner of the 2014 or some comedy competition. And, and then yeah, it triggered the memory. I was like, I think that's the one he beat me in. Yeah, because you loaned me your sound system. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You didn't have a sound <laughs> system. And I was like, well, that, the guy wouldn't let us plug in. Would let oh, me plug in, yeah. and I had backing tracks that I was doing too. So yeah, so you I let see. me use your system. Man, I should not have done that. That was no, it, it gained my loyalty to you forever. 
All right. So, you know, so let's ahead, kind man. of back that a little bit. Tell everybody what you do. Um, well, I'm an entertainer. So I, I started out as a juggler and, and, uh, was obsessed with it in high school. That was all I thought about. And then, uh, um, did comedy for a while, did, uh, and then I do all kinds of different things. I made a one man band in 2010 and then, uh, over COVID over the break, I think in, I'd say 2021 was the first year I rolled it out. I made a band wagon, which is a, a three wheeled bicycle. It's a Delta configuration. So two wheels are in the front. And it's got everything that I need for one man band on that. So that takes 60 pounds off my back so that I can do that. And I do stilt walking and, uh, and that's it. Just kind of a mix of things. And I do some artwork too. I have an art website where I have things you can get printed on coffee cups and t-shirts. And you did, Louis, you could did describe a... this. I have a coffee cup of mine. If you could describe it to the viewers. It's a robot dog. It's a robot dog. <laughs> that was easy. Um, but you did a thing where you drew a picture a day for a year, right? Yeah, in 2014. Yep. Yep. And th these aren't just like doodles. They're like full-on pictures. Yes. Well, some of them are doodles, but for the most part. Because, you know, sometimes we'd be like we were on a ski trip with the family. And so one of the sketches was of the band that was in the, in the uh, ski lodge. And I had 15 minutes to do it. So I sketched it on a napkin and took a picture of it. And, and that was my drawing for the day for that one. What was the but genesis? What was the genesis of that sort of concept of drawing a day for a year? What what inspired that? Uh, a little bit of panic. So you know, every year when you go through your season gets over, your season hasn't started yet. You know, it's January, and you're you're feeling. Um, if you've been on the road for as long as I have, you get used to being on the road, and you get a sense of like cabin fever. Like I I I'm supposed to be traveling i'm supposed to be driving 300 miles and doing a show and feeling exhausted and i'm not i'm at home and i all that energy that would normally be put into doing a show has to go somewhere and so i was going through a list of just uh, what do i have as assets what are things that i do that i have not capitalized on haven't done anything with but one of the things i've always done is artwork and i so i said well i'll tell you what i'm going to do a 20 minute drawing every day and I'll, I'm just going to stick to that. And as an accountability partner, I'll put it on the internet so that um, people will know that I'm doing drawing a day. They'll just be little doodles that only take me 20 minutes. And, uh, and that'll be that. And it ended up being that when I started drawing things I wanted to, then the average was around three hours to get. Some oh, stuff wow. Done. And oh, that wow. was, that was, you know, going through and, and, uh, and then some days you'd run out of stuff to draw. And so you started being a lot more aware of your surroundings and going, well, you know, just the things that are in my house or if I'm at the mall, is there being a lot more present for what is actually in front of me because I needed subject matter. And, yeah. And I like to do things with a little bit of a twist. So a lot of them are, you know, wordplay things or they're, they're kind of oddball things. Like I drew a picture of my dad's dog. He had a wiener dog, but I drew it with six legs. Um, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So, so that was it. So for, um, for that year, I was just looking around and, and drawing all the time. And like during the, um, the fair conventions, then I would do the same thing. I would be in my booth drawing, doing whatever my drawing was. That's <laughs> well, fucking work. Yeah, of You're course. <laughs> I spent money to have this booth here. But so, yeah. Draw. Yeah. I'm just going to draw. <laughs> Did you find, they're like, are you a character artist and a one man band? <laughs> I did actually, when, uh, when I started doing that, people asked me if I would book out as a caricature artist. Um, and I, I said, well, no, I don't, I don't really have the, 
skill to do that because if you look at the really good caricature artists on the fairgrounds, they're really good. I had done that as a little experiment um, years before where I'd, I'd said, you know, I set up a little thing and I said, you know, for a dollar, I'll, I'll draw you. I think the, the caption said, uh, for a dollar, I'll draw you. It won't be very good, but what do you got to lose? And then <laughs> below that said, mostly painless haircuts, $10. <laughs> so, so I set up a little thing and that was in Virginia City. So I was doing a vaudeville show with um, in Virginia City and, and uh, that was just sort of time off because it was going to be chores that would come through. Yeah. So did I did a few things. More there. than $1? Uh, not much more because it was, you know, when the tourists were in, that's when we, that's when we were down doing the show. And during the day, there's a little trickle of tourists that come through. And so I did a few, but not, not too terribly many. And now, what I lo what love about, about you is that you, you are sort of like the embodiment of the spirit of the moisture festival, because whenever I've done shows with you, it's like you in, in your show in like a 45 minute show, you do like a smorgasbord of every vaudeville variety skill there is uh, sort of like contortion. I mean, I mean, is that is that sort of a reflection of your ADD or is that sort of just like you've always sort of loved variety and wanted to create a show that is just a, a slice of everything? Well, there's a couple things there. First of all, yeah, ADD for sure. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that I've got some form of ADD and the hyper focus when it comes to like when I learned to juggle, I was obsessed with it. That's all I did. You look at what the diagnosis for ADD is; they'll have that ability to hyperfocus. That's why a lot of kids with ADD will do video games, and they'll be able to sit there for four hours straight. Hey, hold on! Um, but then, the diagnosis of ADD, or one of the symptoms, is we'll try and keep objects in the air. No, no. dropping it. <laughs> That's not it. But the hyperfocus okay. is the hyperfocus <laughs> having the inability to concentrate on things but the ability to hyper-focus on one task that you're really interested in. So that's part of the reason that you end up doing something. And for me, it means that I can be, if I'm intensely interested in something, then I can block everything else out. Um, so the, the dishes don't is, get done at your house. Well, they do. I, I have to hyper-focus on the dishes for a little while. You know, <laughs> It'll stack up for a while, and then it'll get to the point where I go, no, no, this just has to be done. And then that's, that's all I'll do. But you know, I've, I've done things through the years to, to combat that. Um, organizational skills are one of the things I've had to work on. And so I would set a timer for half an hour and say for this next half hour, all I'm doing is cleaning up this particular thing. Or I would set limits for myself. I'd say, I'm going to put a hundred things away and start counting one, two, three. If you move a pencil into the correct place where it's going to live, then that's one thing. If you do that, that allows you a limited time frame in order to get something done. And that's part of the thing with the drawing too, was, um, there was, that was a limited hyper-focused thing that I was able to because there's there's other times where where I don't really have the focus to do it, especially if it comes to paperwork. Yeah. No. But <clears throat> but the uh, but as far as the show, as far as variety is concerned, uh, there's two things going on there. One is that I always want to do things that I would want to go see. So I have a picture in my mind of the type of entertainment that I like to see, and then that's what I try to do. So I would love to see somebody who does you know all the things that I do. Um, and, uh, and the other thing is that I always felt like I was letting the audience down if I didn't do all the things in the show, right? So like when I started doing comedy, um, then going on the road and being in a comedy club type situation, then I would want to do all of the variety bits that I had. 
So I had Napweed, which is a love song between me dressed as a bee and an audience member with a, a Napweed hat on him. I would do a uh, six-foot unicycle routine. I would do um, juggling. I would do guitar songs. And if I, I felt like I was not giving uh, the audience what they paid for if I didn't do everything in there. And it took me a long time to finally figure out, you know, like I would have little aha moments where I left a prop at home, you know, show up at a gig and don't have any juggling balls. And the, my show was based on juggling. So you had to do a quick swap out, figure out what else you could do. And I was always able to fill the time. I always had other things that I could do. I just didn't realize that I had the ability to fill that time. So well, you're like the, with, you know, giving them everything. I think you're the only person I've ever seen do stilts in a comedy club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wrote a, uh, I wrote a, a song for stilts. I actually wrote two songs for stilts. So uh, when I was touring, doing comedy, then I would do one that I had done as a singing telegram back in Missoula, Montana, where I was, I would do all kinds of different things performing wise in order to make a living. And, uh, I wrote a song called You Make Me Feel About 10 Feet Tall. And so that would be in a sort of a only blue and white um, Uncle Sam type outfit. And it was just sort of an uplifting kind of a birthday card kind of a song. And that would be the finale of the show when I first started doing comedy because we were doing a variety comedy act. And then later on, I wrote a uh, song by the 10 foot tall cowboy where I would say, oh, I forgot something. Then I would go behind a curtain. There would be the sound of me going downstairs, firing up a saw, hammering, nailing, ratcheting. And, and that, that little soundtrack was one minute long in order for me to get into stilts and the costume and then pop above and do a song and dance as a 10-foot tall cowboy and come out and do it. So that would be the finale of the show because there's no way for me to get back out of it quickly. So You don't, you don't have another one-minute song. There's, one yeah. No, no. yeah. <laughs> Although I could, that could, that could be an interesting, but it's, it's just you it, turning you know, off the saw. Yeah. Well, it's dead space there. You know, the audience doesn't have any visual to key into. So, but it's a little trip in the imagination that, that the, all the sound effects are going in, you know, as, yeah. as I'm coming back up the stairs, I walk past the giant chicken and stuff like that. So there's little jokes in there that they could key into. Um, now, so, yeah. You mentioned but, the uh, growing up in Missoula. And you're, you uh, traveled with the Missoula Children's Theater? Yeah, I did three seasons for them. And wh so what is that? Okay, so Missoula Children's Theater uh, has a team of two tour actors. And they'll go into a town on a Monday. They'll take a two-hour audition after school, usually. Um, and then that night, there'll be a two-hour rehearsal for the kids that are cast in the show. Most of the things are set to cast 50 local kids in a show. And then by Saturday, you put up a full show. So all the kids have had their lines memorized, songs memorized, dances memorized. We would carry the costumes with us in a little uh, pickup truck with a topper on the back. We had a psych that would wrap around three sides. Um, and it's by number of children cast, it's the largest children's theater in the world. So wow. during the school year, um, and you'd be, usually that would be, you could be everything from a community center, like when they go into Alaska, They'll fly into some place that's really remote, and basically everybody in the town is cast in the show because they need fifty people in the show, right? No audience. So, well, for for some of those, they switch out. So when you're not on stage for that, because if everybody is cast, then they can walk out and watch or whatever. But um, but the the deal was, it's a nine month contract for a tour actor, and if you're fresh out of college and you have theater experience, 
then it works out pretty well because you're able to sell t-shirts to the kids and you can save some money because you don't really have apartment expenses or something else. It would be much more difficult to do as a, a step as a performer if you were older. But mm -hmm. I did that for one season um, where it was nine months on the road and then it is summer seasons. And we also did a performing arts camp um, every year at Flathead Lake. It's a, I think it's, I remember I had a two-week camp. Um, and then the kids would put up a full show done in a full theater at the end of the thing. Um, what was, what would the, sorry, you might've said this already, but what was the time frame from, for the beginning of the sort of theater, when you get the kids, cast the kids to the time the play is on stage, what's the, that time frame where they have to memorize their lines? What, what is that? Monday and then Saturday, Saturday oh my is goodness. two shows. So they got to, I could barely memorize my show and I've been doing it forever. Exactly. But. So it's like an instant arts experience because it's not a thing where they're doing a lot of analysis of the character. It's uh, and there's not any time for stage fright or anything else like that. It's like, okay, you have to know these lines and know where you're stepping. It's all the basics there. Uh -huh. And for that reason, then there's not really time for stage fright because no, this is, you got to go, 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 go. You've memorized yeah. your lines. Now you got to do them on stage. And there's not a lot of time for panic or anything. So, and are you directing I, them? You're the director? Yeah, directing and acting in it. So oh, wow. The tour actor would play a role. Like uh, first year I did it at a Beauty Lou in the Country Beast. So it's Beauty and the Beast, but done in a country way, right? So it would be a county fair song. So I played the Beast and, and uh, Beauty's imaginary friend that was helping her get through whatever her issues were, right? Uh huh. So, and then the, then I, got married and me and my wife toured for two years and we did Jack and the Beanstalk for two years. And in the meantime, we took a little break where we worked for a different children's theater out of Portland. And then we went back on the road for MCT and, and did the performing arts camp and all that other stuff. So was there anybody that you ever, uh, was in one of your shows go on to be like a successful actor or actress? Yeah. Yeah. MCT has a, um, has a, a movie called little red truck where it goes through and shows what kids were going through. Like there's a real dramatic scene where this kid, he's like 12 years old. And he said, you know, this changed my life because before I was gangbanging, now I'm not. He was literally involved in some uh -huh. violence and violence and illegal activity. And uh, the, it changed his life. And there's a lot of other kids that are like that too, where they really didn't have an outlet. They didn't have a way to express themselves. And all of a sudden their grades went up and, the yeah. red truck goes through that because you're going into some pretty hardcore areas. We went, into, yeah. we went into one school that was a step up from the shelter school and they told us that the parents probably wouldn't show up for the performance and they didn't expect half the kids to be there by the end of the thing because they couldn't hold on to anything. Then they have one kid during that week that dropped out of the play and that's because they were sick. Uh, but they also explained to us that a lot of parents would probably be coming to the performance drunk if they came at all. But it was it was well received. And that was a situation, okay, so there's one step above the shelter school and they didn't want to do a Saturday performance because because they thought that on a weekend that everybody would take off. So it was K through six Friday performance. So everything had to be crammed in faster. And Jack, the lead character, had over two hundred lines. Jeez. So so yeah, it was a very rough week and you had to uh, really really focus on it and make sure that it was going to be successful. Fortunately, the kid who played Jack had a good sense about him of how to make up lines that were close enough if he needed to. He was, oh, also, dys nice. he was also dyslexic, <laughs> the kid that we, we cast. 
So Kim really had to teach him by rote. She couldn't send him home with a script. It had hey, to- wait, are you casting the kids also on top of that? Yeah, on a Monday, you have a two-hour audition, and the, the main thing is you have the kids be loud and expressive, say their name and their age, because everybody remembers their name and their age, right? So you'd um, have go around the circle, have them say their name and age as loudly and expressively as they can. And that was enough for you to go on to really into groups and then find out if they had any special skills. Wait, so like, you have a clipboard or like name and age. Yes. Yeah, well, not even, not even a clipboard. All you do is, um, you thumbs have, up and thumbs down. <laughs> well, you have them. Yeah. Have, have people, you move them into different groups so that nobody knew what was going on. You would you be have, a good rock. You. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's it. But that's, and that simple of a thing, you were able to, kind of get people in order really because you don't really need much more than that wow um yeah so the kids that were willing to be really outgoing got cast as leads yeah of course that's 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 a bad thing if you have like an entire family of people who have been who have trained their kids that they need to be quiet right because then it might be that that whole family doesn't get cast if they're mm-hmm. not careful and we would do things too like if there was um if there was a, like say there's 56 kids and we're going to cast 50 people. You can't turn away six. Yeah. You either reduce the cast so that there's a big enough group that they don't feel like they were singled out, or you find a way for the community to provide costumes for them and have 56 kids. Yeah. But it's a great like, program. I, I recommend it. Yeah. You're like, Johnny, today you're going to play yourself. <laughs> yeah. In the audience. <laughs> you're going to be, you're going to play a ticket buying audience member. Yeah. Well, we had like farmers and merchants. So, you know, if you, if you really needed to fill it out, then farmers, most people could find overalls. And if you needed to, a flannel shirt and jeans for a, a kid to wear, yeah. to fill out that section a little bit more, you know, that kind of thing. Now, is this, did you do this after you attended uh, a music and voice school in Vienna? Yes. So this would be uh, the trip to Vienna with the Chamber Corral was in 1986. And we went over there and we studied art and music and everything. That was a three-month tour. And we performed at different things over there, um, doing um, Broadway musical songs or whatever, and, and some more complicated songs. We Were sang you with in the, English? or I know a lot of it's in German. Uh-huh. So we, we, learn, uh, we learn whatever the songs are in whatever language. So Italian, French, German. And then we performed at uh, Charlemagne's Church and uh, I don't remember where else, but we, we were all over the place and we got a chance to go to some castles and stuff like that. And that's an ongoing program that they did that every year, every two years, I guess. Uh, Don Carey would put that together, he was the director. So went over and did that, and then, and that was the same year when I came back from that, that I joined mm, the circus, gotcha. circus Gaddy for a couple months, and then I came back and was cast in the chorus line in college right after that. So so I had a combination of different things that I was interested in that I, I went and did. It was kind of a full schedule. And I look back on it now, it seems kind of overwhelming. Like I kept yeah. a journal. I kept a journal back then and seeing what I would do, even just in Missoula, just figuring out, you know, okay, I have a rehearsal for a ballet at this time. I have five singing telegrams today, and I'm going to be the chicken mascot for the basketball game that night. There were some things that were... It was an incredibly packed schedule, right? Because it, it, for me to be making a living as an entertainer and going to school yeah. and doing all the things I was doing. So. so this theme of like doing so many different things has been consistent throughout your whole life where it's mm-hmm. like, 
all right i i do a singing this this year i for money i did a singing telegram i was a chicken i did you know some uh a sign spinning at a dealership i don't know yeah. you know like <laughs> sign spinning then, wasn't a thing back then okay. but if i could have done I that sang in vienna <laughs> yeah it was not above you at that point though no and it, it, i'd always done juggling shows ever since i was in high school so that was the core of yeah everything that's really the thing that drove it along i mean having a an education in the arts is one thing but the willingness to be a professional and get on stage and do it because there's a lot of people who do things sort of waiting for somebody to hand them a job you guys know this you're both entrepreneurial um and to be a performing artist in the vaudeville circuit type of thing um, means that you have to go out and create work and create a market for yourself it's usually not something where oh well we need uh we're hiring and we need somebody to kick a bowling ball from their foot onto their forehead. Who are our applicants, right? Mm. It's the Free fact people. that Matt Baker, Matt Baker knows how to do that. And he yeah. goes and sells himself because yeah. he's figured out how to do that. It's not like there's a huge number of people. waiting. But there. did you know that, I mean, is that something that you always knew you wanted? Cause I was reading your bio and it said, uh, essentially you said like getting paid to perform was like, teaching an afghan farmer to grow poppies yeah i should probably take that out <laughs> I, I didn't read that i was like eh, he might change that. yeah but you know it was that. essentially like when the first you know event that you were hired to do uh, what did you know at that point like this this is because it seems like everything that you've talked about you know knowing you over the last 20 years it's like everything you've sort of embody is about being a professional entertainer and creating content and uh, you know, pushing your own creativity. Is that something that even back then you wanted as a, a kid? Yeah. Well, think about it this way. Okay. I grew up in Montana. And so the way to make money was to shovel driveways or mow lawns. And I did that. And then all of a sudden I, you know, like I said, I get obsessive in my sophomore year of high school and I was juggling in my front yard all day long for like eight hours a day. And uh, the neighbors across the street hired me to do a, a birthday party and they paid me 10 bucks, which is what I would get paid in order to shovel somebody's driveway back then. And I, I thought, this is what I love to do. And somebody wants to pay me to do it. What can I do? That was like, okay, what do I need to do? So, you know, make a clown outfit, um, learn to tie balloons, whatever it is that I can do that will be something that's fun for me. And I, I got real obsessive about the history of clowning and, you know, um, and uh street performing and all that but there wasn't that much video back then so i would see like uh i had a vhs tape of gregor popovich in the circus doing devil stick and stuff i had uh, i was i subscribed to jugglers world for the international jugglers association so i, I saw some things in there read interviews with people in a magazine um i think the only video i really saw i saw the flying Karmansa brothers on the mike douglas show and I remember seeing that. That was one of the only things where I could actually see juggling being performed. Every once in a while, I would go to a circus in Missoula or something um, and be able to see that. But uh, that was it. I had to teach myself the pattern. I had to figure out the pattern myself. Yeah. Well, and that's yeah. like a different world from like the kids coming up now. It was like we didn't have a model, especially if you weren't in a city. You kind of were like, hey, let me figure this out. And then after, I mean, after I learned to juggle, then I ran into other jugglers. And there was a small group of people that juggled in the park every Wednesday. So I would go down there, and then you learn a lot more quickly because you're 
able to see. Because when I first learned to juggle, I, I thought I was inventing the tricks. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. No one had ever done two in one hand before. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there was that. There was the the feeling of, and then then when you finally see somebody, it's like uh, you you look at those and you go, oh, that's what's possible. Yeah. And then passing, well, we would do passing, and I would think, oh, wait, I think this is possible to do. And so I'd tell the other people, I saw this once, we can do this. And then I would try it because I had never seen anybody do what I was asking to do, but I wanted to try it anyway to see if it was possible and then it would work. And so the the lack of having somebody show me how it's done um, wasn't that much of an impediment. You just had to find people who were willing to do yeah. experimenting with it. Well, it's funny that, you know, because, you know, we've interviewed you for our other podcast and, you know, juggling does come up when you sort of tell your story a lot, but working with you, like, I don't even see you as a juggler. I just see you as like this variety entertainer, almost co like you, I almost see music as a more of a, uh, through line in your career. Um, yes. yeah. Like when did, you know, when did music comedy music come into play and did that ever overtake the juggling aspect of what you do or is it just sort of stayed even the whole time it has now um yeah. i went through a period there where i had problems with my shoulders um and i went to physical therapy and got it fixed but there for a while i couldn't tuck in my shirt with my right arm it wouldn't go behind my back there's a lot of pain so i couldn't do anything juggling wise that was uh, in the show that would involve that. So I took most of the juggling out during that time and was mostly focused on one man band. So <laughs> I hurt my shoulder. So I'm going to put a 60 pound back. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but one man band claimed to be smart. <laughs> one man band came like what I'm sort of getting at is one man band came further down the line. I mean, you were doing comedy music for a long time, like in comedy clubs and writing your own original songs that were comedy based. Yes. Um, and so when, when did that sort of come into play in your sort of entertainment arc, your entertainer arc? Oh, the inter okay. So you have to look at it a couple different ways. What was I interested in? And that would be early on when I found the Dr. Demento show, that was like, I have found my tribe um, uh -huh. playing all this weird stuff. And, you know, Spike Jones and the city slickers, weird Al Yankovic, um, all the, you know, Alan Sherman, all the, all the different, uh, I love that type of thing. Um, and so I remember I did a performance, I think it was in fourth grade, where when the streak came out, Ray Stevens, the streak, and I got up in front of the class for show and tell and sang the whole thing. <laughs> did all the voices and everything. So, um, so there's an interest there. Um, as far as when I started writing music and writing my own songs that would be in, in virginia city during the, the variety show then i would take and i'd write a parody every once in a while of, of uh, one of the songs that we were doing because we were twisting things we would do you know often box neighbors chorus but we would do it as hillbillies that kind of thing mm. so you would find a song and, and i would rewrite some of the lyrics and then i would perform that on stage so you could say it was there but it, before that i mean doing singing telegrams i would write uh singing telegrams that were fun and i'd have an entrance, I'd sing the person the song, and there would be an exit line, something, you know, whatever so, the, the thing was. So how does the process go if someone books a singing telegram? They're like, hey, it's Jenna's 
30th anniversary of the company and then you write it or do they give you a script? Neither. <laughs> I, uh, I went to the a balloon company called Balloons R Us in Missoula and um, started just kind of this deal where I was a performer and I wanted to sing telegrams and it worked out. They would book the things for me. And then I had written my own things for it, like uh, Undertaker delivery, okay? So I'd walk in, because they, they had a balloon that said, uh, we mourn the passing of your youth, right? So I wrote of a song. Of your youth? Is that what yes. you said? <laughs> that there was enough, they had, they had pre-made balloons? Yeah, well, that was like the, the Mylar balloon, and then you'd have black balloons that you would deliver. Well, because right? like the 40th birthday used to be a big over-the-hill thing. Yeah, they would, you oh, know, they, I as a you gift, meant- they... Okay, sorry. I thought you meant the balloon was made for the death of a child. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I see the confusion. I see the confusion there. <laughs> like, That's a little cold. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hello, my baby. Anything hello, for a buck. <laughs> sorry. No, so, so for that, I would walk in dressed as an undertaker, and I would be crying, and I would say, excuse me, we just have a few last minute details. And I take my tape measure and measure them sideways and up and down. And then I would sing, mine eyes have seen the glory of the passing of your youth. It was living just the other day. I saw it there forsooth. It never gave a whimper and I swear it never cried. There was a thump when it keeled over and a gasp and then it died. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Right. <laughs> so and that would be it. And I would hand them the black balloons and then walk out crying. So that would be an undertaker delivery. And I had you don't a, stick around for the tip? <laughs> that? No, they would sometimes if people would follow me back out. But I had to have an excuse for leaving, too. So, you know, if I'm ah. the hillbilly, then I would do the hillbilly delivery with a, uh, a parody of the Beverly Hillbillies theme. And I would do bluegrass banjo for it. So each of the characters had something going for them um, that, was a, that was a unique thing. And did you ever like knock on the door and it's not the right house or like the wrong person's there? I don't know. Usually it would, wouldn't go to somebody's house. It was a little awkward if it's just me and the person there. It would be at a place of business. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's like it's the office and all of a sudden there's a hillbilly walking in going, Clarice, Clarice, Lulu Bell, you here? It's me, your cousin Larry. I ain't seen you in forever. You almost never get back to hills no more. We miss you. You know, and then I would do the That's the amazing. Why did you stop doing that? That's amazing. We need more of that. <laughs> I, I did it in um, when somebody would have a birthday at a comedy show, and then I would break that out. And I would, mm. you know, because I had a character that I, I play in the comedy shows that was yeah. Billy. So I'd put on the hat and break out the banjo and do that. Gotcha. And is that what you did? Um, so you started writing comedy songs and you're doing comedy clubs and for you did it, you were in a duo for a while called the rock and roll comedy circus of death. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, you came to the one man band, which seems to be a pretty big part of your uh, performing repertoire. Yeah. Now, that's taken over now. Yeah. So what, uh, tell us about that. Like what is a one man band? How, how did that come to be? And what does it look like when we're watching it? Um, it came to be because I had written a bunch of different songs that didn't really work that well in a comedy club situation because I was writing songs that were, that were my own songs or they weren't parodies. They were just songs that I wrote that I would do in the comedy show, usually guitar. And, um, I'd written a whole bunch of other songs because, um, 
and this is we we talked about this like uh, for the artist way book how they talk about creativity is a, a process onto its own so being creative is a thing you just have to keep on working and the byproduct of that is coming up with stuff that's really usable but being creative and putting out a whole bunch of stuff is is really the the key to the thing right yeah so i was writing a bunch of different songs i wrote uh, rusty old banjo which is uh, uh, one of the songs that I knew um, would work, I and uh, it, there wasn't really a spot for it, and it needed to have something with a backing track. So I and I'd done a I'd done a CD years before where I um, I think it was 2008 that I did a whole bunch of, of novelty songs that I'd written and played all the instruments on it. So like there's a marching band song called "Never Trust a Politician When He's Smiling." There was um, Tease a Tiger. Um, there was a song I used to do in the show called The Wolf Song, which is about introducing wolves to Central Park. Um, and all those songs, I put them onto a CD called Tease a Tiger, and I sent that in to Dr. Demento, and he put it on the radio. But I didn't have a one-man awesome. band at that time. That was just me playing all the instruments for the backing track. And then, um, the, I, like I said, I had these other songs. They needed a way to be presented. And so I thought, well... I'd had a bad experience with the team show where if you work with a partner, sometimes you go your separate ways or your objectives are completely opposite of each other. Um, so I thought, well, I'm not going to try to put together a band. So I need to be able to play it myself. I need to accompany myself. So I'll be a one man band. I'll find a way to play rhythm instruments. And I didn't realize how much uh, Mary Poppins influenced that. But when I look back on, look back on it was like oh no the whole character of Bert is pretty close to my heart mm. you know here's a guy who goes out and he hustles and he does whatever he can one day he's drawing pictures the next day he's doing one man band he's doing whatever he needs to in order to ice skating with penguins yeah I'd love <laughs> to do that <laughs> so so uh I built the one man band it took like three years of me messing around everything takes forever when I'm building something. so um and then finally put together a kit and and tried it so i've got a to describe it to the audience i have a bass drum on my back and a banjo on front and a whole bunch of horns and whistles and you know a duck call and a train whistle all that loaded on the front there and all the things that would be normally be a drum break are all the different honks and tweets and mm -hmm. whistles and taxi horns. and when you walk that is when the sim like you have strings that are attached to your feet that are pulling on yes. the symbol so when you walk the bass drum and the hi-hat yeah. yeah so it, yep. you, there's a drum beat when you walk Right. And then there's a string from the neck of the banjo to a snare drum at the back. Oh, too, so yeah. Oh yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then for the bandwagon, then it's all, that's all the, everything is played with my feet yeah. and I don't have a weight on my back because I wanted to have some longevity in the business and yeah. it's kind of rough on you to be wearing a 60 pound backpack. Totally. So my daughter just sent me a picture what a couple of weeks ago when she was working at a fair that you were at. Um, of you in in the bandwagon and she goes eric's really upped his game yeah <laughs> <laughs> the bandwagon's pretty cool it's it's uh so she, I, it's pretty awesome I, so now the one-man band that was done a lot for you because it got you on the gong show you were on like that's my jam with jimmy fallon yep um and it got you i think your first viral video too of you at the airport at like 5 a.m being a one-man band yes it did <laughs> Yeah, so it's gotten a lot, and that was uh, that was one of those things um, when I was 
building it, and my wife was asking, is anybody else doing this? I said, no. She says, do you know that there's a market for it? I said, no, I don't. Then how do you know it's going to be successful? I said, I don't. I just This is something I have to do right now. And I went out, um, Mill Creek Festival, um, did my regular show, you know, loaded up my cart with the unicycle and juggling equipment and everything, and I said, I've got a new thing. Can I do it just out here? I'm not going to charge you anything for it. I just want to see if it'll work. And they said, sure. And immediately when I put it on and stepped out, then a crowd gathered around me. So I knew it was going to work. Yeah. And like six months later, a year later, something like that, I got uh, calls from a uh, production company out of San Francisco. And they flew me down for some different corporate events where it paid really, really well. And so it was immediately a workable thing. I knew that it was a thing that was... uh, and your wife is like, can you do more stuff like that one man band? Well, my favorite quote, my favorite quote is this for my wife, right? Uh, my wife is, is very um, normal. I wish <laughs> she's <laughs> the, the female instinct for nesting and having a reliable income. That's that's it's always been a little bit of a worry for, for all the things that I do. So when I built the one man band and started investing a lot of time into it and everything, she said, do you really want to give up the security of being a juggler to be a one-man band instead? <laughs> and that was when I, that was a, I think that's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. <laughs> and actually, uh, another cool thing, speaking about, uh, vir- I don't know if this went viral, but uh, during COVID, you were doing the one-man band around your neighborhood, like uh, doing sort of like, little minute i don't know if it was a parade or just like walking around the neighborhood no that was the so i I saw on the news they had the deal where the italians were hanging out the balconies and singing to each other across Uh. the balconies during COVID. and i was going you know everybody was panicky and you felt like you were you know it was the apocalypse and you're locked in your house and there's no hope and so i said well you know what if i'm in the middle of the street i'm not affecting anybody but I can go and do just what I do. And hopefully that'll get, I can infect them with my music. Yes. I can infect (laughs) them with my music. And, uh, so I went out and just to, you know, lift people's spirits to brighten their day. I started just going around my neighborhood. I would do a circle around. And then I did went to little areas close to mine, you know, very close to my own house. I didn't go very far to do this, but, and then I would do it probably two or three times a week during the lockdown. That's amazing. Until that, all of a sudden they came out and said, you can't do anything. And that was a different thing. It was a complete yeah. thing. But the news got a hold of it. And uh, a neighbor, some neighbor shot video of it. And some of the videos went viral. And then I got news stories. Yeah. And one of them went really big where all of a sudden I'm, I'm uh, when I looked for it, it was in Czechoslovakia and Germany and, and all that. The story was getting yeah. spread around the world. So. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, Louie had mentioned that earlier that um, we did a story on our other podcast about you that went viral, I think, on Time Magazine, because uh, you yeah. used to do a gig. You may still do it like during Christmas time where you're at the Seattle airport at like 5 a.m. walking around. Yeah, and, 6 uh, to 10 a.m. is when I was doing yeah. that. When we doing and, that? Which I'm glad you do that gig because oftentimes I'm flying out around that time and I always get to see you. And it's kind of great to like, you know, be able to like you know, watch you do your thing and yeah. see people confused at exactly what's happening. Why? <laughs> <laughs> they stopped doing that after COVID when COVID mm. hit, then that was all locked down. Now they do have musicians at the airport, but we haven't been called to start doing yeah. the thing again. So we'll have to see if it's going to restart. Yeah. yeah but, I, I mean, the one man band, it seems like it's been, I mean, 
whatever, you know, uh, concerns your wife had when you were creating it, I think she should be eliminated by now because of oh, yeah. this thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's taking you everywhere. Well, okay, here's here's one of the funny things too about the airport gig is they hired me to do like stilt walking and juggling. And I said, I've got a new thing because this is the first year that I did it. I said, I've got a new thing. I think it'll work. And he was skeptical about it. He says, I don't know. You know, we, we really just want you to do, you know, your toy soldier character and, and do these other things. So I said, okay, I'll tell you what, um, I'll just let me do, I'll bring it in one day and I'll do one set. And when it worked, then all of a sudden it became a thing that kind of got built around and we started doing a parade thing that was through mm. the center concourse and everything. And I would leave the parade during that. So it was, uh, it was obviously very much workable. And yeah. after the agent saw it, then. And he went, oh, yeah, yeah, this is definitely, we got to keep this going. Yeah, that's awesome. But at first he was skeptical. And that's not unusual. That's not unusual. Well, I My think wife was skeptical. It's hard to visualize. And uh, I think even when uh, we were going over Moisture Festival performers, it was like, what is the one-man band? <laughs> like, yeah. what is, what is that, that going to work? And then how we had to be like, trust us, it's awesome. Yeah, how did, <laughs> that, how did it play at the Moisture Festival? And how did, you know, tell us about your experience and, you know. Of everything oh, it was great. Yeah, it was great. Um, it's, I think it just fits right in with the whole moisture festival thing. Yeah. I can't think of anything that would be more appropriate. It was, it was great to work with all the different variety acts and everything really super strong variety acts throughout the thing. Um, um, and I don't know, it was, it was well received. Yeah. I was looking at the picture of, uh, the cast, that you were with, I don't know how many shows you did, but um, I was like, geez, that cast is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Lucy Darling, Alex Feldman, um, Kaplan. Kaplan. Yeah. I think the zip code man was there. Yes. Or... Yeah. That was pretty freaky. That's, that's <laughs> I, I, I bet that's up your alley, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I like all that stuff. And that's the thing about the Moisture Festival is like, you you work with all these amazing acts and they're all going dude i worked with a one-man band yeah (laughs) (laughs) so that's right up my alley though if you think about it what i've been trying to do is basically do something that is a variety act like the moisture festival just as a one-man show yeah and but for that then you get the top artists from all the different things and it's not uh not just a jack of all trades doing the the acts it's yeah specialized in that yeah and had you been to the Moisture Festival before you got to perform there? Yeah. Yeah, I'd been several times. As an audience, not as a performer, right? As an audience, not as a performer. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it looked like, I mean, I wasn't there, but I, you know, from the reviews of your performance, it was a huge success. And uh, it was cool that you got to be able to be a part of it. Was that like something that you had always wanted to do? Or was it just like, ah, oh, I happen to be available, I'll come out? Well, this is where it goes to the paperwork thing, where you guys have been telling me, hey, you need to apply for the Moisture Festival, and I would always uh, forget. <laughs> so, and I would always the deadline not. would pass, <laughs> and the whole thing that Eric got check marks for, for uses time wisely altered grade school, comes to the fore, right? So that's my Achilles heel, is that I, there's deadlines and stuff, then I'm usually a procrastinator, and and I finally got it in on time, mostly because you guys pushed me and said, "Hey, you got to do this." So, thank You're you welcome. for thank you for being <laughs> yeah. my Jiminy Cricket. 
Well, you uh, might not have got the Moisture Festival pod, uh, the Moisture Festival application in in time, but your pencil was put in the right place of where it's supposed to stay. Oh, good. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, if you want to find out about Eric, uh, you can find him at funmanband.com. That's his one-man band site. He also uh, lists all of his, his other stuff, his stilts, his juggling, his comedy music on comedyrocket.com. Um, on Twitter, it's Eric underscore Haynes. On LinkedIn, it's Eric Haynes. And on Tumblr, it's Comedy Rocket. Am I missing anything? I'm Eric Haynes one on Facebook, I think. And then you where, know more about my handles than I do. <laughs> <laughs> where is uh, your art hosted at? So if people want to see your art. Uh, if you go to ComedyRocket.com, there's a thing that shows me drawing a picture of a, a unicycle with a full one-man band on top of it. You just click on that. It'll take you over to the art site. Nice. Where you can get art prints or t-shirts or coffee mugs. Whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you want to hear more from Eric, uh, we interview him for the Odd and Offbeat podcast. Just uh, Google Odd and Offbeat podcast, Eric Haynes. And there's an even more depth of his childhood growing up in Montana. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's thinking, hey, I want to find out more about this fellow's childhood in Montana. I bet well, he had to ride a horse through Indian territory just to get to high school. Uh, we want to thank you, man, for uh, joining us today, man. It was uh, it's a treat to see you. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Oh, very much a pleasure to see you guys. That's it for today, folks. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you want to check out more information like who's performing, how to volunteer, how to contribute, be sure to go to the Moisture Festival website, which is moisturefestival.org. If you like this podcast, you can check out the podcast that Matt and I do called the Odd and Offbeat Podcast. Yeah. You can get on all of the podcast places, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and where we talk about weird news stories of the day. It's a good time. Yeah. If you like this podcast, you will love that because it is all things weird. <laughs> <laughs> and that has links to my personal page and Louis Fox's personal page if you want to follow what we do individually. So we want to thank all of the performers, donors, sponsors, volunteers who put on the moisture festival it really takes a village to make this thing happen absolutely we want to thank you for listening and we want to thank you in advance for coming out to the moisture festival so be sure to check out the moisture festival site they also have a facebook page and instagram page and a youtube page to see how you can get involved and be a part of this year's or next year's moisture festival we want to thank you so much for listening to today's podcast and we hope to see you soon See you later. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. And stay moist.